my god, hi. Hello. <laughs> it was a week this week, wasn't it? Yeah, you mean the whole episode we recorded that didn't get recorded? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was great. That was fantastic. Amazing so. week. I do have something great that happened this week. Oh, what? You, you, you already know about it because I slid into the kitchen screaming about it. Oh. My Chemical Romance came back on Thursday. They just dropped a song out of nowhere. Uh, and I lost my mind. At the same time, the same day, I found out that The Batman 2 is in production. And I was like, it's oh, the resurrection. Oh, Robert Pattinson? Yeah. I was uh, like, the resurrection is here. I hope they give Zoe Kravitz a, an actual mask. Oh, same. And I want. I hope they cut his hair. I don't know why they did that to his hair. They had to give him the grungy emo Perfect guy. movie. What was up with the costume design? <laughs> I like Just those two pieces. Batman. The mask and the hair. What did... His hair... Ugh. It looked like a mop most of the movie. He was hot. 10 out of 10. But his hair looked like a mop. And I have no fucking clue what happened to the budget with Zoe Kravitz's they... mask. It was a ski mask. wasn't even that. It was a beanie that they cut eyes into. Like... What gets me about her mask is, like, you can afford an entire cat burglar set, an entire leather suit, but you can't afford a leather mask to go with it. They also couldn't afford to put nipples on his suit this time, and that's a devastation to me. Did they do that with the other Batmans? <laughs> yeah. nipples? Yeah, bat not, nipples. Not the just pecs, they just No, had they the had the nipples on them. I don't remember that. <laughs> like, the Dark Knight had nipples? I don't think the Dark Knight did. No, no, the Dark Knight didn't because he no. had, like, his suit was actual armor. Yeah, but the other Batmans had nipples. Man. Shout out to Christian Bale. He did such a good oh, job on that real. Batman. He did. Dark Knight, I love the Robert Pattinson Batman, but oh, nothing great. can ever top the Christian Bale no, the Dark OG. Knight. The ode, like, ah, oh. that, that is that is what defined it all. They, that's where... I really hate that, like, they're still trying to put the Joker in, too, because it's like, look, no one wants to see Joker if it's not Heath Ledger. No, it, like, he, it, 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 it peaked you, at Heath Ledger. Like, Who dude literally oh, died for the role. And then they did a whole, then they did, like, a whole 180 and did Jared Leto, and it's like, that's the worst person you could put as the Joker. He was gross. Yeah. <laughs> His method acting was, it was not it. No. He sent Marco Robbie a rat, knowing that Did she didn't like Did you ever like hear rats. the interview with Will Smith that he put, he threw an actual dead pig onto the script table? Yeah, yeah. Meeting? Yeah, like That one song you made was not good enough for you to... <laughs> you mean the kill? <laughs> yeah, the, the only good the song you song. made. The one Everyone tells me that they have more good songs, but they won't name them for me. <laughs> it's like, uh, The Kill and, hold on, I'd actually have to pull up my Spotify because I have, I have a whole other song by them. A whole two songs. I have a whole two songs that are, that were from primetime emo phase that I'm very, I, I very say, quickly going to regress back into because the Batman I, is coming back. And that's gonna. I was one. Of, I was one of the kids that in in middle school liking Batman over Superman was a personality trait. And I cringe when um, I think about that point in my life. I still stand that Superman is boring. He is. I still will always say that the Batman's better. But here's the thing. I like Superman way more than I like Captain America. Yeah. I hate Captain America. Yeah. 
Nothing bothers me more than the fact that Captain America didn't come out of, you know, being frozen from the 1940s and wasn't immediately racist. Yeah. Like, just make him a little racist at least. Just a teeny bit. Just a little. Like, like he could have been progressive for his time, but, like, it's not going to be what... It's not going to be 2022 yeah, standards. Like, like, so, anyways, yeah. in short, I'm regressing back into my emo stage. <laughs> I probably would, too. You know, what was your emo stage movie? My that, like, defined your emo-ness? Cold bodies. Warm hearts. Or warm... Warm, warm bodies. bodies. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of the title on the... On the thing where it said cold bodies, warm hearts. Oh. <laughs> I was yeah. like, cold bodies? I was like, I've heard of warm bodies, but not cold bodies. Is that loved, a sequel? I loved warm bodies so much in the you peak know, of my emo stage. Um, whenever I was taking my very punk class um, zombie literature, we actually read the book. And the book is the so wild. The interesting thing about warm bodies is that it's one of the only zombie books that has ever like given the zombies narration like the zombie yeah hmm that is interesting yeah my 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 emo movie was warm bodies what was yours sucker punch (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't surprise me i love vanessa hudgens oh love it yes I loved Sucker Punch, too. But, you know, uh, the precursor for that was probably Series of Unfortunate Events. Oh, yeah. Which has the same actress as as Sucker Punch, so I think that actress just (laughs) was my emo awakening. Yes. (laughs) I think her name is, like, Emily Browning. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fucking love her. Yeah, my... I don't think she's been in anything since Sucker Punch, though. I think if I had to pick top two... Like, number one for sure is Warm Bodies, because I watched that way too often. And then, um, Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd? Yeah. I didn't watch Sweeney Todd till, um, oh, I don't even know. I just, I loved the music in Sweeney Todd. Basically anything that had Helena Bottom Carter in it. Oh, yeah, that was like a big thing for a lot of people, wasn't it? Hashtag support Johnny Depp. So, that happened this week. I also got a note on my car where somebody said they liked the details. That was you should nice. have texted and be like, I subscribe to my podcast. I should have. Damn. I'll be your friend if you subscribe. <laughs> should have said that. Well, do you want to get into it? Yeah. Yeah, so our episodes are going to be releasing in uh, out of order for just a couple of weeks. But that's cool. It'll fix itself. So. Yeah. What, what's tonight's story? So, Hold on, so let me today, get my Red Bull okay. so I can, I can be nice and comfy for this story. All right. Are you tucked in? Yes. Okay. Okay. So today I'm doing The Criminal, and this is the story of Jerry Walter McFadden. Have you heard of him? I have, yes. He, he's actually fucking insane, dude. Mm-hmm. This guy was whack. Mm-hmm. So... Jerry McFadden was born on March 21st, 1948. Uh, He never graduated school past the seventh grade, and he grew up in Haskell County, Texas. Uh, That's really all I could find on his backstory. He refused to give interviews whenever he was in prison. So, like, and I guess, like, his family didn't really want to interview either. So, Mm -hmm. I really couldn't find that much about his childhood. 
He was known as one of East Texas' most notorious criminals, and he nicknamed himself the Animal. He was described <laughs> as having long hair with bleached ends, a very heavy beard, and he was covered in tattoos, and he was a very heavy set man. So on to the, the day that his spree started. Um, it was in Hawkins, Texas, and it was like a really nice sunny day in May. On it's May sunny days. Yes. It was on May 4th, 1986, over in Hawkins, Texas, which is a small town about 100 miles east of Dallas. So there were three friends that decided to take a trip to the lake right next to Hawkins. Uh, it was Suzanne... Oh no, where did, where did her name go? Suzanne Harrison, who was 18, and she was a recently graduated student from Hawkins High School, and she was a cheerleader. There was Gina Turner, who was her best friend. She was 20 years old, and she had graduated two years prior to that. She was the high school valedictorian of her graduating class. And then there was the captain of the football team who had just graduated with Suzanne. He was 19, and it's Brian Boone. So all three of them went out to the lake to, you know, enjoy the hot summer day. Uh, they they were supposed to get back home around like 10 p.m. that day, but they none of them ever arrived home. Suzanne's mother, Suzanne and her mother were really close. Uh, so she was really worried whenever Suzanne didn't come home. That, that wasn't like, like her. Suzanne was a rule follower. If she were going, if she was going to be late, she would have called them. Like, that's, that, that was the rule of the household. They, even her sister was like, she would have called if she was going to be late. Mm -hmm. So she was, her mother was very concerned. She called Gina's parents, and Gina's parents said Gina hadn't showed up either. And so comes the next morning, they decided to wait to see if she would come back, um, but she didn't come back. So Suzanne's dad saddled up his horse, and he went out looking for her and her friends. Uh very Texas thing to get on your horse, go out looking, but it was the 80s and it is mm. a small town of by a lake, so there are places where your horse could get that your car wouldn't. I, I mean, there's still places like that even now. I know, like, I, my like... parents live in that <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like there's plenty. The amount of times I'm driving home and I pass through like a small town and like, I spent, like Eden, I go through Eden a lot and there's almost always some dude like riding his horse on the side of the road with a dog following him. I've gone through Magnolia, which is pretty urban, suburban place of north of Houston and people hauling ass on their horses. It yeah. happens in Texas all the time. Literally happens. The stereotypes are true. They are true. It happened when I was in, I was in San Angelo. San Angelo is a pretty urbanized city at this point. Yeah. I was driving in and there were three people on horses and a very happy border collie following it's, them. It's and gas they prices. Halt for real. Hay is cheaper. If I could ride my horse, I would do it. I have a horse. Actually, I think I gave it to my cousin. I never had a horse, but I always wanted one. I worked at a polo stable when I was in high school. That's how I found out that horse whips really fucking hurt. Yeah, they do. My mom chases dogs around with a buggy whip <laughs> in the house. She's that, never hit them. <laughs> and that's why like, she is scared of thunderstorms. She doesn't, like, she just cracks the whip. She doesn't, like, she she does not whip the dogs at all. The dogs have never even been they've hit never, in their lives. Like, they've never nothing, been hit a day in their life. Never even popped on the nose. 
she just cracks the whip in there. She doesn't even have to crack the whip, actually. She can just hold the whip, her little hot pink buggy whip. <laughs> she holds it, and the dogs all run away, and they go lie down somewhere. <laughs> That's why Pi is scared of thunderstorms. Yeah, <laughs> it is. But, yeah, so Suzanne's father went out looking for her, and in the morning, that same morning, Brian's brother went out to look for them as well. And his brother actually found Brian's abandoned truck and it still had like all of their towels, the girls' purses, and their keys inside. I'm suddenly getting flashbacks to the Criminal Minds episode we were watching yesterday. <laughs> well, it's not really like that. No, I didn't think um, so, but like just that scenario in general. Yeah. Reminds so, me of that. Yeah, so so at that point, like once his brother found the car, they they knew something bad had happened, they just didn't know what. Mm -hmm. And this is like a small town, Texas, nothing like this has ever happened. So I don't think anyone was even thinking that like they had been like kidnapped or murdered. Um, if and worse comes to worse, maybe they would think that they drowned. I don't really know the lake, so maybe it's rare for drownings to happen at that lake. But like, I don't think any of them were expecting like something so tragic. The so the teens were all missing for like the whole day. Uh, they they're even featured on CNN. Law enforcement was patrolling the lake. They were going into the high school asking questions, and then the next day comes and Suzanne, uh, who was considered like a ray of sunshine, she was very positive and upbeat. Everyone said that like in the school they basically Suzanne was like everyone's little sister. Like she was the like sweetheart of the school mm. and she wanted to be a teacher when she grew up her body was found the next day that oh. they found that they went looking so her body was Suzanne's found on may 5th right yes okay yeah she was found on may 5th on it was a monday at 12:05 p.m she mm. was found uh about 25 miles from the lake at the barnwell mountain park in a ditch and by some maintenance workers. It was very apparent to them whenever they saw her body that she had endured like a very horrible beating. Uh, and the the officials like gridded the area and they like thoroughly searched the area. And at that same park they found some shorts that they presumed to be Gina's that she was seen wearing on that day. And Suzanne's body, so they, obviously they can't just like say that Suzanne's body, so whenever they went to get her, identified her aunt came in. And it was through Suzanne's watch that they identified her because her and her aunt had matching watches. They couldn't identify her physically? That's that's how bad her body no, was? No, they or... have to get a family member. That's, anytime someone dies without ID, they have to get a family member No, in. I mean, well, I mean the aunt, like... They didn't like pull they're, back the, I the think, screen and her like she look at her. I and think be like, what That's they're weird. gonna do first is show a possession, because mm. it's a little traumatizing to see your dead niece's body. Yeah. So. It's just in some of the cases they like show it like they will pull back the thing and they identify them by like face. I, so that's why I was like, was she beaten so bad that they couldn't? I mean, her? I think she was just beaten so bad that they didn't want to show it first. Yeah. But I'm not really sure, but she was identified through her watch, through the matching watch that her and her aunt had. Mm. 
she uh, had been beaten and raped, and she died by strangulation. Uh, she was strangled with her own underwear. Oh, God. Yes. During that search, police were asking around the area um, if anyone had seen anything suspicious or out of place that day, and one motorist said that they saw a light blue Ford Bronco driving like pretty crazily around the lake that day that the mm-hmm. group went missing. Mm-hmm. And that same truck had an APB out on it for robbery. He, on the lake that same day that the group went missing, uh, a man in a light blue Bronco went up to a couple in their car at the lake. Like they were just doing, like sitting in the car talking, you know, a couple things. And he robbed them at gunpoint. Mm. And took like he took their beer and stuff, and he so took they their beer. yeah he took their beer. That's I think that's all he took from them. Uh, but he robbed them what? at gunpoint. Yeah, like still robbing at gunpoint, but for beer. Yeah. Why didn't you just the, go and like rob a liquor store at that point? So the girl said that. So it was a guy and a girl. The girl described him as looking very wild. He like had. Long, um, messy hair, messy beard, he was shirtless, and, like, everything like that. Dirty jeans. So the APB was put out, and an officer actually recognized the Bronco on May 6th, and that is when Jerry McFadden was arrested. He was identified because he had a tattoo on his chest that said, Death Before Dishonor for the Lonesome Loser, which... Ironic. Yeah, very ironic, considering, <laughs> um, you'll find out later on, but he was put on death row. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah. The irony so, is strong with this case. I see, I see. So, they didn't really, like, at the time, they didn't really have evidence about, about, like, exactly what had happened to Suzanne, like, who did it. Mm-hmm. So, naturally, the first like thought since there was a group and they all went missing Suzanne's body showed up but they didn't find Gina or Brian's body so the the police were suspecting that maybe it was a possibility that Gina and Brian did that to Suzanne and that they ran oh. off so they thought Gina and the what was what was the dude Brian name? Brian Gina and Brian killed her at yes first. that was because they were still missing okay. yes I don't from what like I was reading on that wasn't like the first suspected thing like because it was very out of character for them mm-hmm. but that it had to be a possibility because n- they weren't anywhere to be found and that has been known to happen before like maybe a love triangle went wrong or something like that mm-hmm. so that's what they were thinking at first or like questioning at first But then three days later, the bodies of Brian and Gina were found in a ditch with gunshot wounds that were determined to be the cause of death. The, so, so through this timeline of events, their bodies were found six days after Suzanne's was. Okay. They were found over by Orr City, which was about 15 miles northeast. No one was ever officially charged for Brian and Gina's murders. Um... 
Although he was suspected of it, McFadden was never officially charged because I don't think they could find enough solid evidence to charge him. Mm. But witnesses did say that they saw one of the victims riding in his truck the day of the murders. But that's eyewitness testimony. So here's the shitty thing. Ugh. When detectives were looking at McFadden's records, they had found that he had been convicted of rape three times already between the years of 1972 and 1978. But he had never but he had never served a full sentence for any of them. Mm. Um, Delicious. Yes. So in 1973, he was convicted of two counts of rape. Uh, one for a 14-year-old girl in Haskell County and another of a junior high school teacher in Denton. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison, but made parole in December of 1978, having served less than five years, or no, less than five and a half years of his sentence. And then in 1979, he was convicted of aggravated sexual assault for kidnapping, raping, and sodomizing an 18-year-old woman at knife point. <gasps> In July of 1985, he was released on parole, and he committed the murders of Suzanne, Gina, and Brian less than a year after that. Why would they let him out on parole again when he obviously is going to... Re- he, so, he already has proven that he's going to do it. Yeah. Like he they let him on parole the first time, then he repeats the offense, and you're like, mm, but maybe he's different this time. Yeah. We know the American justice system. It is not reformation. And it's a money pit. He, his case drastically changed how the parole works in Texas because they realized how lenient they were being on criminals. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why Texas has such strict parole now is because of this guy. Because he kept getting out and he kept doing the same thing. Yeah. So I was gonna. Well, you mentioned like the under five years, and I'm like, five. Like serving half your sentence is the minimum to get parole. Yeah. Nowadays. Because of him. Because of him. Yes. So I guess thanks to that. <laughs> well, it's, it's shitty only, that it, it had didn't to happen. have to be because yeah. of that. It's shitty that it happened. They should have been strict from the get go, but. Yeah, it's fucked up. On, so on the day of the killings, several witnesses saw McFadden near the crime scene. And he was easily identified because, one, like I said, wild look, long hair, like big dude with a bunch of tattoos. This was a small town. No one, like, everyone knew everyone. Mm-hmm. So they're going to see an outsider and know that they don't belong <laughs> they're gonna, here. They're going to see them and clock them on instinct. like. Yeah, basically. But when he was taken in after that APB thing and he was arrested the first time, uh, he was found to have ammunition in his possession that did match the ammunition that was used to kill Brian and Gina. Mm. And So the ballistics were the same? Yes. Right? Yeah, okay. I believe so. And so while he was awaiting his capital trial, or his murder, his trial for capital murder, Jesus... Uh, it's a mouthful, I don't blame yeah. you. So on July 9th, 1986, so this was like two months after this, um, after the murders had occurred, McFadden attacked jailer Kenneth Mayfield and escaped from the Upshur County Prison. 
and he took he took Rosalie Williams. Uh, she was another guard at the prison, and she was 24 at the time. He took her hostage whenever he escaped. Mm. He also stole a 38 caliber handgun from the jail before leaving. So he was on the run for two days. Uh, some sources I found said three days, so I'm not really sure. So like two to three days uh, before he was found and arrested again. The guard he took hostage, Rosalie, she was able to escape unharmed because whenever he did take her, she was like, I saw an interview with her and she was like, while she was like riding in the car with him and stuff, she was like repeating, kind of gaining his trust. She's like, everything's going to be okay. I understand. Cause he was like, I didn't commit the murders. I'm not, they call, he was like, they call me an animal, but I'm not an animal. And she was like, yeah, I understand. I understand. Everything's going to be okay. Oh, she empathized with him. Yeah. So he started to trust her. So whenever they went into the woods, they found an abandoned railroad box car. He left her there and he was like, don't leave. And then he was like, I'm going to go find some water. So he left to go find some water. And she said that like, she just heard a voice in the back of her head. She said that like, she heard it. It was like God talking to her. Mm-hmm. And it was like, this is the time to run. So she did. She ran away. And she was able to find someone's house and call the police there. Well, his escape had already been aired on, like, national television. Like, CNN. Like, they were... It was a live stream of him. Because his uh, his escape led to the biggest fugitive hunt in Texas state history. Uh, the dragnet included over 1,200 police in the days before he was caught. Holy shit. And that's not including all the citizens that were trying to help, too. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, hashtag, East Texas. Hashtag Texas proud, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, on the show Southern Gothic, it's the very first episode of the first season, I believe. Mm. That's where I found it. Um people were talking like they were saying that like they really were getting their guns out to go find this guy like they were well, not i totally believe that because yeah they were like like this is texas that it, that it happens but <laughs> so she so whenever she escaped she found someone's home and she like banged on their door asking for help and stuff and the guy who lived there was like she was like help me i've been captured and everything he was like i know he was like you're on the news. He's like, and he was like, come inside and call the police. We're going to get you somewhere. Like you're safe here. And he even said while he was being interviewed, like to this day, he's like so happy that she came to his door and that he could help her in some way. That's a good dude. Yeah. He, so it's estimated that he held her, he held her hostage for about 28 hours. Some sources say the whole three days, but I'm not really sure. I don't know. It Sources said different things. Mm-hmm. But she did say that she really did believe while he had her that McFadden was going to, that he might kill her at any time. And on the second or third day, I think it was like in the middle of the night. So I guess like people are like estimating differently. He was hiding out in an abandoned house in Big Sandy, and people noticed that there was a light on. Mm -hmm. And I guess someone just, like, made the right guess. I don't know. 
They, they, the they might have just called to be like, oh, there's a squatter. And well, and that's what happened. Like that. Well, they didn't say it was a squatter. Like, they actually yeah. thought it was McFadden. So, authorities surrounded the house and he surrendered to them. Mm. I do want to just give like a really solid shout out to, to, to the prison guard that got captured because, like, that is the what a like, bad bitch. What a bad bitch, first of all. You should really watch like the Southern Gothic episode on it. Mm-hmm. Um, they interview like everyone and they're such good interviews. Yeah. I'm just like there's two ways that you handle predators like that. Yeah. And that's you either you either disrupt their fantasy or you play into it. And she yeah. chose the right route and that's ultimately probably what saved her life. It was Probably that, is because I don't think he would have left her alone if she didn't. Yeah. The fact and that she played into it. he was a big it. guy, so mm-hmm. there's no way, like, I don't think anyone probably would have been able to fight him off, especially not some 24-year-old young woman. Yeah. Um, no, based off of these descriptions, no. Yeah, and, like, you can look online, see pictures of him. He was a pretty big guy. Um, Even with, like, and, like, prison guards don't get, like, training against stuff like that. Yeah, I think it said that he was, like, I don't remember the height, but they did say that he was around 200 pounds. Mm. Yeah, no. So, yeah. What Um, a badass, though. Shout out to her. Yeah. So, after he was caught, he was sentenced to life in prison for the escape alone in August of 1986. Mm. During the trial... So the trial had to be moved to Gilmer. I think that's like the next county over because of the publicity that he had gained um, during his whole fiasco. And the presentation of evidence in the punishment phase only took 90 minutes. Like they were literally just like bam, 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 straight up. They probably went in there and then they like disgusted and were like, yeah, no, fuck this guy. And then walked down. Honestly, yeah, I'm sure people were just pissed off and they were like, no, fuck this guy. Which like, it's kind of hard to say he didn't considering that he did have three prior convictions, beat up a prison guard, escaped, kidnapped another prison guard, (laughs) robbed a couple at gunpoint. Did she testify against him? I couldn't find that, but if he got sentenced to life in prison for it, then I'm guessing she did because Probably. you can't really get a heavy sentence without testifying. Yeah. So, like I said, uh, that he was considered like a pretty wild looking guy, like long hair, crazy beard, stuff like that. Well, during the trial, McFadden was wearing conservative clothes and he was clean shaven and he had cut his, cut his hair. And he looked to have lost over 60 pounds while he was in incarceration. The most damning evidence during the trial was, uh, were the court records from the three previous rape convictions that he had. In mm. his defense lawyers said that he was innocent in that it was sloppy police work that led to his arrest and that left the real killers going free. I mean, in most cases, I would kind of agree, but in this case, like, they were, they were pretty thorough from everything I saw. Like, they were, they found the body, they searched the entire area, they were doing daily sweeps to find, like, Brian and Gina, and they found them, and then they did a manhunt, the biggest manhunt in history. Like, they were, they were going off on this guy. This is like the one time where I don't think they were slacking. No. <laughs> um, but um, they say that because apparently on the day uh, that the group went missing, 
there was a nervous, jumpy hitchhiker seen near the scene of the crime, and he was, like, covered up in scratches and stuff. So they were like, maybe he's the actual murderer. And they also cited that the testimony showed differing descriptions of the vehicle that McFadden was driving, and that they were, like, using him as an unfair target due to his previous convictions. In July of 1987, after only about 45 minutes of deliberation, McFadden was sentenced to death for the murder of Suzanne, but he was not charged with the, with the deaths of Gina and Brian. And at the sentencing, McFadden seemed very emotionless. He didn't really react to it. And Suzanne's family said that they were very pleased with the verdict. Her aunt, Glinda Lane, said, at this point, we're starting to get well. We're going to try to put this behind us. And Gina's aunt, Ginny, said that the death sentence was necessary. And she said, uh, quote, it's not revenge, it's removal. It's not worth the mental torture to go through this again. Even though a part of us is missing, it's over and we need to go on. Former assistant district attorney and the special prosecutor in this case, Stephen Tokoli, said that the verdict was unsurprising because of the overwhelming evidence they had against McFadden. Uh, he said uh, that McFadden was one of the most serious individuals that he had ever prosecuted. Uh, he said, I'm not happy when a person is or is going to be executed. I don't relish that in any way, form, or manner, but I feel this case was so serious that I'm glad it's going to reach a closing. His, uh, McFadden's appointed defense still believes that he is innocent, and McFadden's mother, who didn't attend the sentence reading, was very visibly shaken when she was told of it. McFadden also had a 17-year-old daughter who took the stand to beg for his life to be spared, but she refused any further comment afterward. When pleading for the death sentence to be taken off the table for him, she said, I want to ask you not to give him the death penalty. That's murder. No man has a right to commit murder. He's on trial for that. How can you do that? An eye for an eye. Well, that's the Old Testament. Yeah. I hate when people use that. <laughs> I'm like, that's the Old Testament. Like, are you Catholic? <laughs> no, I'm pagan. <laughs> Karma bitch, I guess that's um, what I should say. Yeah, it was crazy to hear that he had a daughter. That is weird. That is wild. But, uh... I mean, if they were so obviously shaken, he probably was just a totally different person within those people than when he was possibly, outside of. I would think so. Like, sociopaths um, are, are experts at masking. I don't think he was a sociopath. No, probably not. I think he I'm... was just a bad guy. Yeah. But... But, like, it's not hard to put on an act. Yeah. So... But, uh, to her, please, um... The jury... They fell on silent ears. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the jury did not care. They sentenced him to death. And the Texas Appeals Court affirmed the conviction in November of 1993. McFadden never testified at his trial, and he refused any interviews the entire time he was in prison. Which is kind of why we don't know that much about him. Mm -hmm. He refused to talk to anyone. Uh, in his last appeals, when he was around 51, he contended that prospective jurors were improperly dismissed from consideration for his trial panel because they opposed the death penalty. Mm. 
and on October 14, 1999, he was executed by lethal injection at the Huntsville unit hey. in Texas. Hey, Huntsville. I know where that unit is. Yes. So do I. My sister went to college there, and so did my brother. <laughs> There's like six prisons in that one area. I swear yeah. to God. Yeah, there are. There's so many. Suzanne Harrison's mother was there, and she burst into che- tears at the death chamber, and she said that he, he, she said, he looked at me, and he took our children. Suzanne's brother, Craig, this guy was fucking scary in the death chamber, so he got as close to the window as he possibly could to watch McFadden, like, gasp and sputter, and Craig said he's gutless about McFadden. And then after McFadden stopped breathing, Craig said, it's done. I'm ready to go home. Craig was like, fuck this guy. Craig (laughs) had no time for this man. He was like, (laughs) no, he needs to go. Greg straight up was like, good riddance. Okay, let's go get lunch. Literally. He was, so in that year, in 1999... He was the 27th convicted inmate to be put to death that year at that unit. But he was the 191st overall in Texas since the resuming of the punishment in December 7th of 1982. We put a lot of people to death. Yeah. That's a lot. Jeez. Population control. I (laughs) I couldn't imagine going to college. There's a college in Huntsville... For people that don't know, Sam Houston State University. I could not imagine having my dorm right down the street from death row. No. That would be so uncomfortable. No wonder why Huntsville is fucking wild. Like. Yeah. When we were in Huntsville to pick up a relative from one of the Huntsville prisons, literally the prison was down the street from like what looked like it's, like Main Street USA no, at yeah, Disney it World. Is, it's right down the and street I was from like, downtown. I was like, bro, we had to park downtown Yeah. in order to go to like where you have to stand to wait for them to be released because they released them in groups. Yeah. And when we were walking back, I remember walking down like the center of the road and I was like, this literally looks like Main Street USA in Disneyland. Yeah. It was so fucking eerie. And you like look the other direction and there's just a giant brick building with wiring and like watchtowers with men with sniper rifles and i'm like yeah no death row is like actually in town yeah and then the holding cells are just on the edge of it and then there's like two or three other prisons just outside of town i could never live in a city like that ever i grew up near a prison but it was just one prison and i think it's (laughs) the biggest prison in texas i grew up the closest the the closest one that we have is in la mesa Oh. And it's 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 a transfer. I shared a zip code. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, Ours is uh, it's in La Mesa, and it's um, it's a transfer unit that that oh, prisoners okay. get stuck at for close to four to five years. They're only supposed to be there for two years. Yeah, it's like a transition. Yeah, unit. it's a transition unit, and it's out like in Cottonfield, Texas. <laughs> That's the closest um, thing that we had. The guards there are really nice. Um, fun fact: uh, the Huntsville unit is also the unit that was rumored to have a Leatherface mm. in it. Leatherface is not real for anyone who still thinks that. He was a made-up character that was made by a bunch of broke college students. <laughs> 
He was never real. <laughs> there was never like a man. Design. I hear Leatherface and I think of the design and I'm like, oh. There was never a man in Texas putting on skin faces. That we know of. Yeah, that we know of. <laughs> and also, he was not directly based off of Ed Gein. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. I read the book. <laughs> Quick, spilling your misinformation. It's not real. He's not in the Huntsville unit. He's not real. It's a very interesting book. I'll have to find the title of it. It's a very good book. But anyway, so he was sentenced to death and his his um execution was carried out in 1999. McFadden's crimes led, like I said earlier, he he is the reason why we have such strict parole in Texas. Because they realized how fucking lenient they were. Because of this guy. So in January of 2019, we're going to fast forward a little and then jump all the way back. McFadden was linked to the July 24th, 1979 murder of Anne-Marie Holofka. And he was linked through the DNA matching using a GED match, which is the same technology that was used to find the Golden State Killer. For anyone that doesn't really know, that technology is basically used uh, to find a DNA profile using like familial lines that are given through DNA of people going through like Ancestry.com and like 23 and me and all those. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. So Anne Marie was 20 years old at the time and she lived in Portland, Oregon, where the murder took place. So she was known for having like beautiful brown hair and a bright smile. She was, she was also described as being a very well mannered young woman. Uh, she never had any criminal record, never caused any trouble, never was like involved in any criminal activity. And she was living with her boyfriend and her sister at the time in an apartment. And her and her boyfriend were starting to talk about getting married. She worked multiple jobs. She even worked at McDonald's with her sister, Rose. And she was actually last seen whenever she left work. She was last seen around 5 p.m. by a friend and co-worker just outside of her apartment building. And come around 10 o'clock in the night... Rose arrives home from work after working at the same McDonald's and she like calls out whenever she walks through the door for Anne Marie and or for Anna, I'm sorry, for Anna. She receives no no response. Like she's she walks in, she calls her name, or says that she's home. No one no one says anything. So she's like kind of confused. She's walking around, so she finally decides to go into Anna's bedroom. And that's where she found her body. Ooh, in the house? Yes. Ew. Uh, Rose said that it was immediately apparent to her that Anna had been strangled. Upon further investigation, uh, Anna was sexually assaulted before being strangled to death with the electric cord from her clock radio. At the time, police interviewed and investigated a lot of like several different subjects but they couldn't really get any leads or suspects in the case. In 2009, cold, uh, cold case detectives in Portland sent uh, some evidence that they still had to a crime lab that for testing in the crime lab found DNA on 
the evidence, so they ran that through their database. And in 2011, they found, like, unknown male DNA in, like, a DNA profile. The profile was considered to be exceptionally good for how much time that had passed after the murder. So once they found this match, detectives spent the next four years, from 2012 to 2016, uh, collecting and submitting eight different subjects' DNA for testing, but they all came back negative. They were finally able to run it through GED Match, which was the technology with the family lines. Through this database, they found three to four different family lines connected to the DNA that was found at the crime scene of Anna's murder. And that's how they were able to identify McFadden as the killer. Detectives had traveled down to Texas, down to Texas to interview McFadden's family because he had been dead for like 20 years, obviously. They collected more DNA from them so that they could confirm that it was like a full-on match. And it was. However, they couldn't try him for the crime because he had been executed uh, 20 years before that. And due to his execution, his DNA was never really entered into the FBI CODIS database, so they couldn't really compare it to other crimes anyway. Uh, so what happened in 1979, like I said, for the other two rapes that he first committed, he got put on, he was, been, he, oh my goodness, I cannot talk anymore. <laughs> he, he was paroled in December of 1978, okay? And then he... I guess he hitched a ride or something. He traveled up to the Pacific Northwest, uh, up to Oregon with a woman, and she told uh, investigators that she'd never had any further contact with him after taking him up there. And, which, dude, sounds like she escaped by, like, the thin of her hair. Literally. Like, just, like... I was just thinking to myself, I was like, first of all... How do people just be like, oh, no, yeah, I'll give you a ride up there. I mean, this was the 70s. Yeah, but, like, still, like, Girl in the Box hadn't happened yet. That's true. No, she, literally, she avoided death by, like, the very fine line. Like, ugh. Yeah, and right after Anna's murder, he was convicted of raping, kidnapping that 18-year-old girl in, Mm. or woman in So the woman who helped him was not his type, apparently. But yeah, that is the story of Jerry McFadden. Really long. This guy was insane. He did some crazy shit. He was not a good person. No. The fact that, okay, at the trial, he was completely emotionless. And it's like... I guess that could mean that he did. He was probably sociopathic in some... In in some regard, but even then, it's like, that just shows that he had zero remorse for what was happening, what he did. Yeah. Like, this dude was literally insane, and he was like, he gets out on parole, does it again, goes back to prison, gets back out on parole. At that point, he's, he probably thinks he can just continue to do it over and over again. Even, like, though the... The consequences weren't hard enough. Yeah, even though the parole laws were, like, lenient back then, I can't believe that he went to prison a second time and they still paroled him. Yeah. Like, like okay, the wouldn't first you time want him to obvious. serve his full sentence at that point? Yeah, even if there was, like, I, I don't know what the circumstances were like back then. I don't know if there was, like, overcrowding issues like there are today or anything like that. But still, like, I he it. got out, recommitted, goes back in. What makes you think he's not going to recommit again? Yeah. 
do the full sentencing at that point. And I know the American system isn't about reformation. They don't give a shit about actually fixing you like other countries do. I mean, even then, a lot of, like, it's only a very small minority yeah. of countries that do actually try to rehabilitate. But some people just can't re like, you can't just rehab. And that guy, I don't think is, I think he's one of them that you can't just rehabilitate if he's gonna, I mean, he's, he committed like seven crimes in the span of 10 years. Yeah, that they, he's he's just a fucked up person. He's yeah. He's a bad guy. Period. Keep him like, away from society. Keep him out of society. Period. Yeah, like he's a, obviously a danger to other people. So, don't let him be around other people. I mean, I know that that the death sentencing is a controversial subject. In this case, I'm like good because, like, the only other option is life in prison. I am. Um... But in my brain, I kind of like align with him because I'm just like keep him away. Keep him out. I uh, I don't really know how I feel about the death penalty. I don't really agree with it. I myself don't think I could just like sleep at night being in a jury to sentence a guy to death. No, I couldn't. Like, I definitely, no. like, I could not be in those stands be like, yeah, let's send him to the chair. I, I couldn't do that. No, I couldn't condemn him. No matter how horrible dying. they were. But no. I can condemn them to spend the entirety of their lives behind, yeah, in solitude confinement, away I, from anything and everybody. I just, I don't know. Death penalty definitely a very controversial subject. I, I don't think anyone's wrong in either way if they're feeling about it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just but a very me, yeah. touchy subject. I feel. But in this, in this regard, in this case, like it either needed to be death penalty or. Life yeah. sentencing with solitude confinement. <laughs> Solitary confinement. Like, I hear some cases about death, like, people being put on death row, and I don't really... Agree with them? Or... Well, no, it's more like I, I don't feel, like, compelled to disagree with the sentencing. Like, mm-hmm. with Ted Bundy or, like, was Jeffrey Dahmer? He was sentenced on death row, right? But yeah. he was killed in prison before he was before it was carried out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I'm like, yeah, dude, they're the worst people that you could imagine. But, I don't know. There's always the chance in, I mean, not always, but there is a chance in a lot of cases that you're putting an innocent person to death. Yeah. And it has happened before. It Mm -hmm. happens a lot, actually. So, I think in cases like this where it's like, it's obvious, period. Yeah. Then. If it's not completely obvious that they did it, I don't. Think. No, they shouldn't be put on death row. Yeah. Uh-uh. Yeah, I agree with that. But in cases like these and like Ted Bundy yeah. and Jack where it's, there's so much evidence that it's like, yeah, this this asshole, this absolute dis- yeah. this absolute garbage of a person committed all these crimes and ruined all these lives, these absolutely heinous crimes, first of all, these heinous crimes, then yeah, by all means. Yeah. I personally, if I was ever a juror, I wouldn't be able to make that decision. Yeah. No. Like, just, like, for me to be able to go on with life, I don't think I could Knowing like, that you condemn that someone decision. to death, yeah. even if they're a horrible person, no. Like, maybe if it was, First of like, all, that's against my, that's against my codes. Like, I don't, I don't believe in killing in general. Oh, you, you have a kill code like Batman? Not really like oh, Batman. Circle back. <laughs> yes, circle back to Batman, yeah. I have a kill code. Honestly, it's it, it just ties in with the um, with for me personally. I'm just like that's not my that's not my decision. Yeah, I shouldn't be the one making that. 
Yeah. Now, if it was like I'm, in I'm the a moment, twenty-four like, year old college girl. I can't make that decision. Yeah, like if it was like in the moment where I was like in a situation where it was like kill or be killed. Well, survival is a different thing. Yeah. I'm do my best. <laughs> I'm gonna try. Am I gonna am I gonna be successful? Probably not, but I'm gonna damn well try. I I feel like I have the ego to be successful. Oh yeah, totally. I yeah. <laughs> Just whip out your tomato. Exactly. <laughs> but that was the story of Jerry McFadden. Okay. Well, Jesus was... Christ, it took me like an hour to tell that story. Okay. Well coming off of that very heavy subject. Um, so you've heard of the Sasquatch, right? Are you doing the Sasquatch? I am not. I'm uh, doing a relative. Are you doing are you doing the the skunk ape? No. Have you ever heard of the bat squatch? The bat squatch. The bat squatch. <gasps> Full circle, it's Batman. <laughs> oh my god, it's Mothman. <laughs> um okay, so Circle well, back. That's what I'm covering today, and it was really ironic that we talked about the Batman. That wasn't my intention when we started this because I forgot what cryptid I was doing. For you know a solid who was a lichen to Batman? The Mothman. The Mothman. <laughs> circle, full circle, the circle of life. So Disney Channel. <laughs> well, that's what I'm covering today. It's the Bat Squatch, native to Washington State, specifically. <laughs> of course, it's in Washington. Um, specifically the Skamania County, Washington, uh-huh. uh, the Bat Squatch started making its appearance following the 1980 eruption of the Mount, of Mount St. Helen. Oh. People said, or well, stories saying that amongst the barren and devastated land, a lone figure began to appear, always at night and always accompanied by total silence. Theories surrounding this creature suggested that it was either trapped within the mountains or hibernating, and the eruption of Mount St. Helen uh, allowed it to wake up and escape. There's also a theory that the eruption opened a dimensional portal from which it spawned, kind of similar to the origin story of another flying cryptid that we love oh in this podcast. <laughs> okay, Cthulhu. <laughs> oh, you know how we were talking about your little um, Enfield horror? Mm-hmm. Well, whenever I was editing the other day, I realized something. Hmm. You were saying that it reminded you of H.P. Lovecraft, and then I said it reminded me of Hellboy. And we were both, like, talking about the different things. Mm-hmm. Hellboy is literally based off of H.P. Lovecraft. I don't know why I didn't, like, process that whenever we were talking about it. Hellboy is literally... Hippopotamus Lovecraft. He yes. was literally based off of Hellboy, or based <laughs> off of Lovecraft. Lovecraft was based off of Hellboy. Yes. I'm saying it now. Um, so the creature is similar to the Ahul and the, the, or- the orang, orang, orange bati of South Asia. The Ahul. Uh, and, and the podcast golden boy, the Virginia Mothman. <laughs> <laughs> its status has shifted over the years from just a supernatural event to a folklore manifestation and finally to a modern urban legend. So because of its connection to the eruption, let me explain what exactly, for anybody who doesn't already know, what the Mount St. Helen eruption was. So Mount St. Helen had remained dormant for almost 140 years. Its last period of activity occurred between the 1840s and the 1850s. That long slumber was interrupted uh, in March of 1980. The eruption had a volcanic explosive index of five. It was the most significant to occur in the state since the much smaller 1950 eruption of the Lazen Peak in California, which wasn't as devastating. 
Uh, Mount St. Helen was in, like, if you've ever read or watched anything on it, mm -hmm. it was insane. Yeah. There's videos of, like, what what it looked like. It was was horrifying. It is the most disastrous uh, volcanic eruption in U.S. history. And the aftermath wasn't a picnic either. The eruption was followed by a two-month series of earthquakes and steam venting episodes. Oh, I didn't know that. That's horrible. Plumes of toxic fumes and magma fractured the landscape and even created a large bulge and break on the mountain's north slope. 57 people were killed during the blast, more than 200 houses, 47 bridges, and 15 miles of railways, and 185 miles of highway were erased from the face of the earth in the the blink of an eye. (laughs) I really hope the mic got that. (laughs) Toxicity and leftover ash from the blast also might have been responsible for countless deaths throughout the years. And according to locals, uh, it was also the cause of our emergence of our main character, Bat Squatch. So is Bat Squatch like a flying Mm -hmm. Sasquatch? Yeah. Oh my god, that's terrifying. (laughs) Does he have big feet still? Yes. The Bat Squatch? terrifying. Imagine this thing is like, you're working in a cemetery at night, you're doing your grave robbing, you look up, and it's not a man that you see flying, it's a Sasquatch, and it kicks you in the head. A flying Um, Bigfoot? What's more unbelievable than a flying- than a Bigfoot? It's- A flying Bigfoot. It's said to be a large humanoid monstrosity, clocking in at more than, like, between seven to nine feet. And the weight of two grown grizzly bears. Oh! That was what all of them said. Two grown grizzly- so he's wide. Yeah, he big boy. Two grown grizzly bears isn't- that's gotta be, like, two tons. Yeah. Um, it is said to have piercing yellow eyes, so we're drawing off of like, you know, the standard, no more red. Blue tinged dark fur, razor sharp teeth, and a wolf-like muzzle. He has blue hair? Yes. Blue tinged dark fur. So he's an e-girl. Yes. He's an e-boy. E-girl. Choke me like you love me. (laughs) Choke me like you love me, but you hate me. So yeah, he's an e-girl, e-boy, e-them. So he has sharp teeth, a wolf-like muzzle. He has a broad, muscle-bound torso. So, like, he could contend with you post-gym days. <laughs> um. <laughs> and bat-like wings that span up to 50 feet. Got that 50? Wing- yeah. Five zero? Five zero. Oh my god. He got that wingspan. Why does he have such long wings? <laughs> he's- so he has, like, each wing is 25 feet long? Yeah. And he's only 9 feet tall? Mm-hmm. He doesn't need that. <laughs> He's got to be intimidating. I don't believe that in this guy. I, I, that's like the base. Is a, a lot of the accounting said like 30 to 50 feet, but most of them said wider. Wider? Mm-hmm. Th- 50 feet. <laughs> yeah. For a wingspan? Mm-hmm. No. Oh, yeah. And, and as if that's not enough, the beast is also said to have psychic abilities. Oh, my God. So does Mothman. Yeah, telekinetic powers allow it to affect man-made objects like car engines, radios, and television sets. So, the first sightings of... Why do these things always have such amazing abilities? I know, right? They couldn't pass any of that on to us. It's really annoying. Well, Mothman did. Mothman did. Yeah. That's going to be its own episode at one point. Everyone stay tuned. (laughs) Batsquatch was stingy with his abilities. Um, So, the first sightings of uh, the Batsquatch occurred post-St. Helens eruption, blah, blah, blah. Uh, its presence was known and felt to a number of curious folks, rescuers, investigators, or anyone trampling around the blast zone. Uh, they all said that they were aware that something was roaming the area 
that felt that made them felt that they were being watched and followed. A lot of the investigators and rescuers were having a lot of technical issues with their equipment, which most of them summed that up to being like the post-eruption. Uh, yeah, you sure it's not the fucking volcano <laughs> yeah. that erupted? So, but no official sightings occurred. Um, for years, the Batsquatch was just a Washington state legend, um, something to spook people away from the, the dead zone of Mount St. Helens eruption. Um, yeah, something with a wingspan of 50 feet would scare me away too. <laughs> so while the nation was recuperating, the eruption was slipping into people's memory banks, the region was getting back on its feet, for the most part kind of just was left alone. Until on April 19th, 1994, at 9.30 a.m. in the oh. daytime, 18-year-old Brian Canfield was driving a truck near Buckley, Washington, on the foothills of Mount Rainier. Uh, Canfield's truck came to a, sudden to a sudden stop, and he got out of his truck thinking, like, it stalled for some reason. He didn't know why, because it shouldn't be doing that. So he got out to check the engine and came to a stop as a bizarre, terrifying creature appeared no more than 30 feet in front of him. The creature was described to be at least nine feet tall with bluish fur. It had a wolf-like face, yellow eyes, tufted ears, I want to pet them, and a large mouth filled with sharp white teeth. Its feet were described as bird-like and the oh. back and on its back were two bat-like wings attached to the shoulders. He had bird feet? Big bird feet. Yep. Oh, what the fuck? He's a chicken. <laughs> yeah. Oh I guess chicken God. squatch doesn't make a lot of sense then. Chickens are fucking terrifying though. They are. I, I hate bet chickens. you. Look, I guarantee you, if there was like, a, if there was a four foot chicken at the door, I'm not answering it. Have you seen that video of that massive chicken that was rolling around? Yes. I no. I would. I wouldn't be anywhere Those near chickens that. Chickens exist. I know they do, and I don't want anything to do with them. <laughs> no. I hate chickens. I can't stand them. Oh, I them. fucking love chickens. I can't stand them. I want them. a pet chicken. Most chickens have a vendetta against me, and I don't know why, because I love birds, and I've never done anything to any of them, and yet they chase me and peck at my feet. Everywhere I I've gone, I hate them. My, my cousins have a pet rooster. I'm not going anywhere near it. I'm not going to your cousins. It, no, like, the rooster even hates them. <laughs> I don't it, know what it their vendetta is. It will chase them around the property. Like, this rooster... He's going for the kill. He has straight up, like, he has caught, caused some scars. I got stalked by a chicken when I was He's in not chicken. I just said chicken. He's a rooster. Yeah. He uh, said he had feet, chicken feet. The feet were described as bird-like, uh, and on its back were two wings attached to the shoulders. Okay. After an undetermined length of time, the, the creature unfolded its wings and took off with a force that was so strong Canfield's truck shook with the disturbance of the air. Like he just like and was gone and shook the whole damn truck. Um, I guess with a wingspan of, of 50 feet that would do How that. How can he even get around with 50 feet of wings? I don't know. <laughs> the truck started again uh, right after he like took off and as abruptly as it had stopped Brian Canfield just Drove home. He got back in the truck and drove home. Uh, Canfield later returned to the site of the encounter with his mother and a neighbor in hopes of finding some sort of physical evidence of the encounter. Uh, nothing was found. Uh, local reporter C.R. Roberts of the Tacoma News Tribune interviewed Canfield and was convinced of his sincerity. So he published an 800-word article based on the interview on April 24th, 1994, which you can find if you search it on Google. It was um, a video interview? No, it was a oh. Word article, but mm -hmm. it has like a really gnarly 
uh, artistic rendering of what it looks like. And I, I totally suggest looking at it because it's I'm terrifying. I'm going up what the bat squatch looks like. <laughs> I'm listening. Um, but with no more sightings, it was considered a hoax. Until in 1998, an unidentified hiker took a fall down a cliff and upon waking claimed to see a large figure tank a semi-truck hauling wood. Like, the, the truck hit him. Uh-huh. Assuming that it was like a tree stump at first because when he hit, when he fell, he hit his head. Assuming that it was like a tree stump at first and like the, the truck veered off the lane or something, he was surprised when upon being struck, the thing bounced into the air like it was flying, with quotation marks, before falling into the canyon. Uh, the witness claimed that he saw wings while it was in the air. After gathering himself, he went to investigate and unfortunately had the following encounter. In a written statement, he said, The creature stood about 15 feet high when it was sitting, hunched over in front of me. I later discovered that this creature would be measured as easily 30 feet from head to bottom once it was airborne. Wait, wait, he said this creature was 15 feet tall sitting down? Yeah. And that it was 30 feet when it stood up? Mm Mm-hmm. I think these people were breathing in poisons from the (laughs) volcano. Yeah, once it was airborne. Um, I say bottom because it didn't really have a tail. The head of the animal was unusually small compared to its massive body. The beady eyes would remind anyone of who who has the misfortune of seeing them, believe that this creature could be a rat. Be could, oh my god. Be could. Be could of. (laughs) Could be of the... Chimera family, which there's some speculations that it has chimera origins. Yeah. While other characteristics of the head also had many features of, of the canine family. Being of noteworthy comment, its long pointed ears from which protruded of the top of the creature's head. The nose was rather small. The most pronounced feature of the nose was being an unusual color of purple. I believe this is the only creature in the world that has a purple nose. The wingspan of the creature looked insanely large as if it could fly across the world with no resistance. However, I later learned once the creature was airborne, uh, the wings would extend out to form a wingspan of a good 40 feet. So you see what I mean by like, it, it was like, uh. I think these people are tripping on- Toxic fumes? Yes. Yeah. Is that a theory? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. That's the right theory. <laughs> He said, the creature was very frightening to look at and could almost be a cross between a large bat and an excessively large furry human. I believe that the most accurate description would be that given of local town folk who later have the misfortune of encountering the beast and naming it the Bat Squatch. Um, Because this man was never identified, this encounter was never considered to be solid, even though there was so much detail in his I don't consider it solid either. Yeah. A 30 foot... You don't think anyone would know about a 30-foot creature in uh, Literally the, the size of a skyscraper, of like a small building. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, apparently nobody noticed this thing. After this encounter, it seemed to die off for um, a few years, a few years being like roughly 10 years, mm-hmm. until in 2009 near Mount Shasta in California, um, so we've moved, uh-huh. he's moved, um, several hikers witnessed a huge creature with leathery wings spanning 50 feet fly out of a crevice in the mountain. At first, an eyewitness described the creature as having a head similar to a pterodactyl. However, upon reconsideration, the witness claims that it was more akin to a flying fox bat. How do you mix those two things up? I I, I don't know. I guess it was from a distance. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. 
two years later, on June, in June of 2011, Phoenix Tiras, a pseudonyme, uh, was in his yard walking his dog when he went to pick up the dog. He was picking up the dog when he saw something in the sky. He said the following about the encounter. I saw something flying in the sky. It had bat wings, blue fur, and had a face similar to an animal and eyes glowing yellow. It was about nine feet tall at the least. After I watched it, it just flew away. On April 14th of 2014, at Archbishop Hoban High School in Arcon, Ohio, in Akron, Ohio, a second period Spanish class spotted a giant black mass sit by the window of the classroom at incredible speed. The class claims that it was about nine feet long with a 20 to 30 foot wingspan. Where are they getting these measurements? I, I don't know, because I'm like, how do you Why just like see that? Why does a nine foot tall thing need 30 feet of wings? I don't know. After 2014, though, there's been no new recent encounters. There's been some people who claim that in the area of Mount St. Helens, uh, occasionally there seems to be a feeling of eeriness and like you are being followed constantly. Um, probably because there's a shit ton of things in the mm -hmm. Oregon wilderness that will kill you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know, a moose or a cougar or a bear. Yeah. But, or a badger? Um, like the Loveland Frogman, or the Jersey Devil, or our golden boy, Mothman. Wait, there's um, Frogman? That, yeah, Loveland Frogman. Kim Possum. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Bat Squatch has been adopted by the natives and has become an icon of its land. A mascot that's even featured on the label of one of the region's most popular beers. You know what? I did see that beer. It's mm -hmm. an IPA, so I can't drink it. But, yeah. You know. <laughs> it's, it's just going to taste like sewer water. So, yeah, but following the 2014 spotting and just, like, the general people being like, ooh, there's something out there, there's been no other encounters or, quote-unquote, sightings of this creature. Are there any theories of what it is? Like, Some theorize that it was hallucinations mm -hmm. from the toxic area and just from the trauma and the PTSD of people having to deal with Mount St. Helen. Yeah. Um... Another one was there was a theory that people um, just wanted some kind of, of recognition, like the town wanted some kind of recognition and didn't want to just be attached to the Mount St. Helen eruption. So so they made up an ungodly creature. They, they took a note out of, out of uh, Point Pleasant and created their own cryptid. Okay. Mm -hmm. I can believe that. Yeah. Brian started it all. Brian started it all. Wow. Those were the those are the main theories. Um, when asked in an interview once for an investigation, the the Skamania County um, Sheriff's Department uh, claimed that all witnessing and sites of the bat squatch are baseless and the product of. I didn't write it down. But basically, they were like it's the product of fantasy. You guys just want something crazy to happen around here. Yeah. So. Interesting. But that is the Bat Squatch. Um, Terrifying in theory, um, but it didn't really attack anyone. It kind of was just around. It sounds to me like he helped Brian get his truck to start working again. He did. He was like, oh, you're stopped up on the mountain? Here you go. Here's my little electric yeah. wind whoosh. <laughs> wind whoosh. Have some help. Yeah. Whoop. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to head out, but I fixed your car for you. Yep. Sounds like a nice guy. 
Yeah, I the thing that gets me is the thirty foot, the to thirty foot, fifty wingspan. foot wingspan. Yeah, like how do you even conceal that? How do you walk around with that? Sarah J. Moss fans, if anybody's listening. <laughs> but he seems helpful. He's he's not doing anything crazy. He's just freaking people out. Yeah, that's what it, it seems like. I stand by the 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 scientific. Um, explanation, which is just being that everybody was high off of the toxic fumes and we're seeing shit. That that just seems like the most reasonable considering the outlandish description of this thing. Mostly because yeah. like it is so like it's being described as so big that like there's no way that would be hiding in the woods Mm-mm. where only like a few people have seen it. Yeah, especially in woods and like in a desolate because it, I keep saying like people would see it in the desolate and quiet areas, and it's like how do you hide something that massive in a desolate area in an area that was demolished by an eruption? He's hiding under the ash. He's hiding in the mountain. That's where they say he spawned from is within the mountain cracks that were that that broke open thanks yeah. to the, that I was talking about in the earlier part. So. There's a lot of theories. You remember in the, I think you said it in the Mothman one, that there was a theory that he spawned from the fire, the explosion. There was like a, a TNT factory exploded. And people oh. thought that Mothman came out of the devastation of that. No, no. It was um, that he was either a mutated bird from the TNT toxic waste, mm. or that he was a harbinger of the... The Silver uh, Bridge. I must have read that on a separate thing then, because there was a like TNT factory explosion or something, and people were like, that's how the Mothman came to be, because it opened up an interdimensional portal. I mean, there might have been an explosion, but I didn't find one in my research. <laughs> Maybe we will when we do the special on it. Yeah. But, yeah. So a lot of people compare him to, he's, he's just like Mothman, Washington edition. Washington is pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Washington is like... Sounds to be the place for all this... The spooky shit? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you got the most horrific serial killers from Washington. And the Bat Squatch. The Bat Squatch. <laughs> um, I was gonna say, I never saw the Bat Squatch when I was there. No, I didn't see it either. Um, yeah, never really. Saw. Yeah, so that was the Bat Squatch. It's a pretty fucking goofy one, especially following such a heinous murder. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> 50 feet, man. 50 fucking feet. Did you uh, look up the artistic rendering of him? Yeah. Do, doesn't it look spooky? He looks weird. Uh-huh. It's like a werewolf uh, 2.0. <laughs> yeah. A werewolf and a vampire made love, and that's what came it, out. It's like if a werewolf was on steroids. <laughs> Pretty much. And had 50 feet of wings. Yeah. Well, I guess it's time to go. I guess so. Okay, well, on that tennis ball drop instead of a mic drop. <laughs> um, this has been Criminal. Slash Cryptid. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.